You're listening to DraftKings Network. The more productive you are, the less future value you have. This is the problem for NFL running backs. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. I'm your host, Andrew Brandt. We're produced by Jack Connell, musical producer. The sound's coming from my son at Boy Blue Tunes on Spotify. And of course, we're presented as always by our friends at DraftKings. Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, It is quite a week in the business of sports. I'm going to bop around on some things dealing with uh, the NBA and the NHL, dealing with college sports, dealing with the merger, continual reverberations from the live and PGA merger or acquisition or whatever you want to call it, and maybe even touch on a baseball issue with potential move to guess where, Las Vegas once again. I want to start with the NFL. I'm writing something for Sports Illustrated. I just want to talk about running backs. I've talked about this before, but I think we need to have a discussion about running backs. The devaluation of position is extraordinary in my mind. It's uncanny, and it keeps getting worse, okay? It keeps getting worse. And, you know, we can talk about the reasons for this in a minute, but let's talk about the news of this week and even the past few months. This week, we had the release from the Minnesota Vikings of Dalvin Cook. Dalvin Cook, I don't have the stats. I don't need the stats. He's been one of the most productive players in the NFL at that position for years. And here's my point. That's the problem. (laughs) That's the problem. Think about what I just said. He's been the most productive, one of the most productive running backs in the NFL for years. And that's the problem. In any other business, in any other position in the NFL, and basically any other position in sports, you have productivity, you win. You get a contract, you get extension, you get rewarded, you get awards, you get all kinds of kudos from your boss, you get promoted, productivity increases value. It's a simple proposition. Who cannot understand that? You're productive at work you get rewarded. And that is true for offensive linemen, defensive linemen, cornerbacks, safeties, linebackers, punters, kickers, quarterbacks, wide receivers, tight ends, but not running back. Running back is the inverse. We have come to the point where it's the inverse of productivity value with running backs. That is is something I just have to say. The more productive you are, the less future value you have. This is the problem for NFL running backs. It starts in college. We have the NFL draft eligibility rule. It requires three years removed from high school to enter the NFL. And everyone says, yeah, that's fine. You know, who wants these 19-year-olds running in to pick a name? Ray Lewis in the past, or Brian Urlacher in the past, or Roquan Smith now, 
or whoever. But it's an arbitrary age. It's an arbitrary rule. And it's agreed to by the NFL and the NFL Players Association. In hockey, in baseball, you can come in as a high school student. In basketball, you have one year removed from my high school. This doesn't matter for a lot of positions. Again, I mentioned offensive line and quarterback. They take a lot of time to develop. They are not stressors on the body, even though quarterback gets hit hard. They only get hit, what, 10 times a game, if that. So here we're talking about running back. Running backs have their most productive years in their early years. And you can say early years are 21 to 25. Maybe the early years are 17 to 21. Or maybe they're 18 to 23. Or maybe it's 19 to 24. Whatever it is, they are severely restricted and disadvantaged by this NFL draft eligibility rule. And indeed, the person who fought against the rule, was a freshman running back who led the country, would have been a top pick, named Maurice Claret, ended up not being able to win that case, having to stay, stay out of the NFL, even though he couldn't go back to college, and then never really played in the NFL. Maurice Claret, a running back. Because running backs have their highest productive earning years in college, now, it's great that B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs are in the top 12 in the NFL draft. That's great. Good for them. But they're going to be worn out in a few years. Do we think that B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs are going to be fresh and getting these big contracts at age 25, 26? I mean, they're getting a big contract now. They're two of the highest paid running backs in the league based on their draft position this year. But to expect them to get big contracts again, even one of them, with what we're seeing out there, no. So listen, Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs could have gotten these contracts two years ago. Maybe not first round, but second round, whatever it is. If there was an NBA-style eligibility rule, it's an NFL-style eligibility rule. They have to wait three years. This is the problem for running backs. And as again, it's not a problem for other positions. Running backs have the shortest shelf life in football. They take the most brutal hits and they wear out. It's not anecdotal. It's happening. Yes, there are outliers. There's Christian McCaffrey. There's Derrick Henry. And they got the big deals and they're still playing on those big deals. But those are the exceptions rather than the rule. Let's give you some anecdotes in the past, whatever, three months. Dalvin Cook released. Ezekiel Elliott, released. DeAndre Swift, traded for a ham sandwich. Aaron Jones, $6 million pay cut. What are we seeing here? And here's the big one. Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler made noise. He's like, I'm the bell cow for the LA Chargers. I'm one of the best running backs in the league. My productivity has been off the charts. I'm going to make a little noise because if I'm putting myself in Eckler and his agent shoes, I'm like, this is my time. I got to get paid because we know they're going to discard me in a year or two. So he made some noise, some contract discontent, some grumbling. Guess what? It got him nothing. The Chargers ignored him. The Chargers said, yeah, I don't think so. As far as any teams angling to trade for him, no. So the Chargers threw him a bone with some incentives. That's it. No free money. No, no extension, no raised contract, just some incentives. So let's go through it again. Austin Eckler raises noise about his contract. Crickets. 
Ezekiel Elliott, release, still not signed. Dalvin Cook, release, still not signed. DeAndre Swift traded for a song. Aaron Jones, six million pay cut, but he's still got a good number. Compared to most running backs, he's in great shape. And even the free agent market, you know, it's less than last year. I know Miles Sanders got a pretty good deal, but I mean, these guys are getting nothing. Nothing. There's no free agent market with running backs. I mean, Jamal Williams, decent deal. I mean, it's like, there is just the the devaluation of running backs continues, and it's extraordinary. And I'll get back to my major point in this rant. Production is counterintuitive. Production is counterintuitive. Production does not equal future value. With every other position, it does. And my final point is the three elite backs that have given franchise tags. Tony Pollard, uh, Saquon, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, and Josh Jacobs. Okay. They have a $10 million number as a franchise tag. Great number. But the teams, at least to this point on June 15th, are basically, for June 14th, are saying, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> We're not going to pay you more. You know? We're not going to do a long-term extension to sock in some heavy guaranteed money in this player. Saquon Barkley, right? Now, if they're negotiating, what the team's probably negotiated is, yeah, you know, we'll give them this year guaranteed, maybe a little next year guaranteed, but geez, we don't want to get them guaranteed after that when they're age 20, pick a number six, 27. That's too much for them. So it appears that the Raiders with Jacobs, the Cowboys with Pollard, and the Giants with Saquon just want to rent. They just want to rent a year. And here's the thing for those three players. If they're not getting a long-term deal now, they're not going to get one next year, no matter how they play. In fact, if they play well and have high usage and great numbers, they're not going to get They're definitely not going to get a new deal. The way they get a new deal is eh, have show some great promise, get injured, come back late in the year. Maybe they save their legs. It's just a counter to not. What do you do if you're running back? I don't know. The running backs that get deals seem to be ones that have been spotted. You know, Miles Sanders, not a ton of usage for the Eagles, got a nice deal this year. The ones that have not been bell cows, like Elliot, like Eckler, like Cook. I don't know what you do. It's just a devaluation of the position. And teams are content to, to go use them up and spit them out and go to the next, on to the next. You know, listen, in sports and in life, what creates value is scarcity. And what seems to be, except for outliers, like McCaffrey, like Henry, and maybe these two rookies, you can find running backs. I mean, it's proven. You can find running backs, whether late in the draft, late in free agency, you can find running backs, old veterans, the Latavius Murrays of the world. You can find them. And this is the problem because there's no scarcity. There's scarcity at quarterback. There's scarcity at edge rusher. There's scarcity up the middle sometimes with the big beefy guys at defensive tackle, but there's no scarcity at running back. That's the problem. No value. So no other position in sports besides maybe pitcher in baseball 
do we talk about tread on the tire? And this is the real issue with running backs, tread on the tire. Teams are telegraphing to the world their strategies. We want to use them and use them up and move to the next. The franchise tag for running back works so hard against running backs. The draft eligibility rule works so hard against running backs. My final point is I feel for running backs. From a business and sports angle, they are in a really tough spot. Okay, let's move on. We had two champions this week of two of our core four sports in the NBA. The Nuggets win it all. Nikola Jokic, what a revelation. I'm speaking to you as a Joel Embiid Sixers fan, and I'm like, wow, this guy is different. This guy, Jokic, is different. He makes everyone better. He's got such skills, and he's totally selfless on and off the court. Impressive guy. Nothing against Joel. Joel Embiid, I still think he's the MVP. MVP is an, an in-season award, so don't give me, don't come to me with the playoff stuff. So anyway, they win. They're a revelation. They're a great team. They make they they pass. They move. Everything seems to work for them. On the business side, they obviously will increase their value. The ownership, Stan Kroenke, owner of the Denver Nuggets. I believe it's his fifth championship in the last couple of years. Now, a couple of minor sports, a League of Legends or Call of Duty League, he's got the winner. Uh, he's also got the winner of the National Lacrosse League last 2022, the Colorado Mammoth. And then the NHL, of course, Colorado Avalanche 2022. The NFL, LA Rams 2021 season, I believe, 2022 Super Bowl. And, uh, and now we go to the Nuggets. Trying to see if there's anything to be gleaned off of an owner like this having so much success. And the only thing I could come up with is he's he's a guy. Listen, I've been around NFL meetings. He, I never see him. He's never there. Uh, he's just kind of a hands off. He doesn't do a lot. So what he does with his teams is he hires good people, spends the money and stays out of the way. So maybe that's the lesson. Certainly that's what I dealt with in Green Bay. There was no owner to even stay out of the way. They were just automatically out of the way. And we could run our team with autonomy and hopefully good people doing their jobs. The other lesson is marry a, a Walton. <laughs> he married Ann Walton of the Walmart family. That helps a lot. He had his own fortune in real estate and does. But marrying into one of the wealthiest, fam wealthiest families in the world doesn't hurt at all. So he's got tremendous funds and he lets people do their jobs, gives the money and stays out of the way. Okay. Speaking of business going North, let's talk about the other league that just ended last night. The Las Vegas Golden Knights win the NHL Stanley cup championship. Now, first of all, we have to talk about Las Vegas. I'm old enough to remember when Vegas was taboo. I remember covering the NFL meetings when they were considering Oakland moving to Los Angeles, Las Vegas. And it all changed. You know, this taboo about gambling, they just felt that would be covered. You know, Las Vegas has done it with the sports books and everything else. They can do it with a team. They can put regulations, barriers, guardrails around it. And they have. So it's interesting that there doesn't seem to be any appetite for, hey, this is wrong, putting a team in Vegas. And now that team in the NHL has had tremendous success getting in the finals in their first year of existence and winning it all just now. Great investment for Bill Foley, the owner. And listen, business is looking good for the NHL. 
They are now approaching $6 billion of revenues. I know that's not in the NFL or NBA or even Major League Baseball strata, but wow, a good move for them, a bonus for them to be approaching $6 billion. Their new television contracts, media deals with TNT and ESPN seem to be going well. Total there is over $4 billion. And here's the biggest metric that just happened this week. The Ottawa Senators who probably are one of the least valuable teams in the smallest, the smallest or one of the smallest markets in the NHL are selling for $1 billion. That's breaking the record held by the Pittsburgh Penguins who sold to the Fenway Sports Group in 2021 for $900 million. A billion dollars for the Ottawa Senators is a great number. I mean, this puts the NHL in that B category, not M category. And now we have the first billion dollar sale for a franchise that is way down the ranking. So you would think the next franchise to sell in the NHL will be for more than that. And maybe if it's a big market, a New York or L.A. or Chicago, Philadelphia, whatever it may be, you'd be closer to a billion five than a billion. So these are good metrics for the NHL. Good on them to get this going. Next rant, continuing reverberations from the biggest story in the business of sports this year. We had it last uh, week. We spent the whole podcast on it, basically. Live in the PGA merging. And one of the reasons that I thought the merger would happen even before it did is this competing antitrust lawsuits back and forth between Live and the PGA Tour, back and forth, back and forth. And what happens with these long antitrust lawsuits is a couple things. One, uh, escalating legal fees. Liv had more resources than the PGA Tour to defend those fees. Number two, discovery. And discovery is basically telling the other side everything they want to know, governed by a judge. And that wouldn't be pretty. It wouldn't be pretty for, it wouldn't be pretty for Liv. And it wouldn't be pretty for the PGA. Because among the things they would ask the PGA is, explain this, the, the reasoning behind the $20 million purses that came out last year, explain what you did to potentially restrict golfers from going to the live tour, potentially restrict networks from going to live tour, potentially restrict venues from going to live tour, potentially restrict sponsors from going to live tour. It wouldn't be pretty. That will never happen now. There's no, the lawsuits are over, assuming this deal goes through, and there's all these other issues with the deal going through, such as whether DOJ is going to look into it, whether the FTC is going to look into it, whether antitrust concerns that were part of the lawsuit now become even bigger with one combined entity. But now Congress has entered the chat. Okay, Congress is looking into this merger. The Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, a Senate subcommittee, has sent a letter to Jay Monahan of the PGA Tour wanting answers. All the questions that I just said about the merger, he wants to know. So basically, the, the PGA is going to have to go through, PGA Tour is going to have to go through discovery that they thought they avoided by settling this case as part of the merger. Congress wants answers. They want them by June 26th. They want them in writing. It's a letter from Senator Richard Blumenthal. They can't ignore Congress. So Jay Monahan is now saddled with this. 
And let's give a thought for Jay Monahan, the PGA Tour commissioner who's coming under heavy fire and criticism, including from myself. And I know Jay, we worked together as agents at the agency Wolf Associates in the late 90s. So I feel for him and I feel for him more now. He's sidelines now with a medical condition. There's no further information. We, I wish him all the best and a speedy recovery and hope he feels better. The stress of the last couple of weeks, I can imagine, I can't imagine. So feeling, uh, giving a good thought for Jay Monahan, despite a lot of people's criticisms that continue. Okay. My last thought here is on college sports. There's been a revolution of athletic director hires. Um, the biggest news this week out of college sports is that the athletic director at Notre Dame, Jack Swarbrick, who's been there a long time, is stepping down, and his replacement has already been named. It is Pete Vavacqua. Pete's an alum of Notre Dame, but more importantly, Pete is leaving NBC Sports, where he's been an executive for many years, to take over the job at Notre Dame. This follows the Big Ten tapping Tony Petiti, who's a former CBS executive, and the AAC, Athletic uh, American Athletic Conference, tapping excuse me, Mike Oresco, and he's been a media executive for many years before that. What does this tell me? Well, it tells me a couple of things. Number one, we're way past the days of college athletic directors being these essentially administrators who came up through ticket sales or came up through whatever they came up through in the athletic department and being more administrators, scheduling games, dealing with schedules, dealing with minutia of coaching issues and all of that. Now there are people handling those. ADs in college sports are much more big picture. They've got to deal with, obviously, student player rights issues, college athletes, college conferences, and the big one, media. Media is the lifeblood of sports. Media is the lifeblood of not only pro sports, but college sports and getting the best media deal puts the conference and the teams in the conference in the best position to succeed, not only their football and basketball team, but all their other dozens of sports that serve the other parts of campus. So media is everything. That's why we're seeing these media bosses being hired as ADs at major schools. So we have a new media boss, a uh, boss from media at the big 10. And now we have a new boss from media for Notre Dame, which is basically its own conference in the way it operates and obviously has an extraordinary budget to deal with. This is good. You know, I talk a lot about the need for disruption with sports general managers, that NFL general managers can't just be scouts anymore. They've got to deal with $2 billion, $3 billion, $6 billion businesses. That's a lot more than picking players. It's the same in college. This is a lot more than scheduling games and dealing with alumni and dealing with boosters. This is dealing with massive media issues and, and you got to get the money from there. Whatever you get from donors and boosters is great, but you got to get the media money because the media money is really going to be your bulk of revenue that's coming in. Uh, and this is the trend we're seeing disruption in the athletic director hiring cycle. So kudos to Notre Dame and good luck to Pete Bavacqua leaving NBC sports to run Notre Dame sports, which may be a bigger property than NBC sports. All right. Those are the rants for the week of June 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th. Um, 
hope you guys enjoy the podcast. I think it's truly unique. Leave us in uh, comments, leave us ratings. Uh, really appreciate it. Share with a friend. Hope it's unique for you. Newsletter, andrew-brandt.com. If you want to hear my videos every day, I put them on reels at Andrew Brandt too. But if you want to hear the whole thing, go to andrew-brandt.com slash SBL for the Sports Business League. As I mentioned, the reels on Instagram at Andrew Brandt too. Of course, Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Column at Sports Illustrated. And of course, this podcast. I hope to make it the best, most unique business of sports podcast out there. Thus, the business of sports. All right. Thanks to Jack Connell, my producer. Sam Brandt at Boy Blue Tunes, Spotify, the music under us. Thanks to you for listening. I'll be back next week with another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.